Welcome to CTRM Radio, home of the official podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory and your source for information on all matters related to CTRM. Hello and welcome to another edition of CTRM Radio, an ad hoc podcast from Comtech Advisory, available at CTRM Center and all other outlets like Spotify, Apple and other places where you can listen into podcasts. My name's Gary Vasey and today we're going to be talking about some research that we just did on trends in risk management technologies, which was a six-month survey and analysis producing a report which you can get for free from ctrmcenter.com under the Publications tab. All you have to do to download the report is simply register with a username and email and the report is yours for free. CTRM Radio is kindly sponsored by Enuit, an award-winning provider of CTRM and commodity management solutions worldwide, and hosted by CTRMCenter.com, the place for all things CTRM. And if you'd like to inquire about sponsoring this podcast or advertising, please do contact us at Commodity Technology Advisory. Well, the report itself was sponsored by NASDAQ Risk Platform, Amphora, and Commodities People. So to get things started, let's talk with Adrian Carr of NASDAQ Risk Platform. Uh, You've had a chance to look at the report. What was your overall impressions and were there any surprises? Yes, I mean, at the beginning of the report, you you talk about cloud and software as a service. And and I think some of the statistics here were quite eye-opening. You know, SaaS has become popular. Half of the respondents were comfortable and a further 18% had no specific issue with cloud solutions, but only one quarter remained cautious regarding cloud. It does point to the fact that a lot of trends have changed over the, the, the last six years. Six years ago, people were reticent to move towards the cloud. They had a lot of caution around it, but now it tends to be that the majority are happy to be in the cloud, which is a good thing for for the industry as a whole. I think that uh, we have done a number of surveys around cloud and and as you say about six, seven, eight years ago, it was almost unanimously against cloud and it's gradually eroded that resistance. And I think what was the final, the final straw was the work from home environment. That's correct. In terms of some of the types of risk, was there any, any surprises there? I obviously, at the time we put the survey together, we didn't really single out liquidity risk. And, and so obviously by the time the survey was being done, we had the Russia-Ukraine war going on and liquidity was certainly a concern that people expressed. Was there anything else in the the results that you thought yeah, was so, Yes, so just to sort of, I'm just going to first harp on a little bit about what you've just mentioned there, liquidity risk. You know, as you've mentioned, the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, really did highlight the the importance of liquidity for firms. Having access to that that cash in order to have the right currency at the right time and in the right place did prove to be an issue for most of our clients and and the industry as a whole. Having a sophisticated cash management system allocated in the right geographical location is highly important, which led, you know, the market was very volatile. There were margin calls which stressed the entire system. Um, Liquidity and volatility at that time, and still right now, poses a risk which requires effective management. You need a real-time system. Batch-based processes are no longer acceptable. We've got an initial margin replication, 
which is in real time. And we've seen a massive demand uh, for the service for energy brokers around the, the world at the moment. We've been called on numerous occasions over the past three months in order to uh, do demos for our initial margin replication service, uh, which is really brought to, you know, highlighted the fact that um, having the right capital in the right place in the right currency is, is very uh, important to, to firms. Um, other things to, to sort of bring out of the, uh, the survey that you did, you know, having the improved ability to do drill down and explore the reasons as to why uh, limits are being breached, uh, having better tools to visualize and explore exposures across the, the geographical regions is, is highly important. And things like having a, a improved model and risk calculation such as VAR for valuation purposes, once again, is, is highlighted. So from my take, and, and I guess maybe I'm being biased being that we have a, a, a market risk platform, but it does, does definitely resonate with us that a lot of people are looking for more ability to drill down in real time um, to, to understand where the actual risk drivers are coming from. So that I did see that as, as actually the, the responses were true to what we're seeing in the industry right now. Yeah, and I think one of the other interesting things for us was the, the, the requirement for more either real-time calculation or at least event-driven recalculation. That is correct. And, and I did notice in the survey, you know, you said that your your system is good as is as as your it is as good as your slowest system, um, and that's no longer acceptable. All of the components within the risk that you are assessing need to all be in real time. Uh, having having part of it batch based and having the rest of it real time is not actually acceptable anymore. Another area that I was interested in was obviously CTRM being used for risk management purposes. Some CTRMs come with more risk technology than others, obviously. But some of the legacy CTRM solutions are really not that they're, they're they emphasize the um, the RM when perhaps they shouldn't. They should be just called CTM or something. I think that what we're also seeing is is this desire to look at standalone risk platforms that can provide more detailed, more appropriate risk analytics and visualization of the results. Is that what you're seeing as well? We yes and no. I mean, at the end of the day, we have a, a risk system which uh, does both. Really, it, it consumes in real time all of the trades, real time intraday position keeping. So it updates all those positions, and then we associate our um, sort of your PNL, your limit monitoring, whether that be PNL, net liquidation value, VAR, Greeks is all in real time. So we're actually we, we I'd say we're we got to have a holistic system whereby we are able to roll it out to our risk teams. And then funny enough, a, a few months later, they are our, our clients are saying, this system is really good. Would you mind adding all of my traders and account executives as users in the system so that they can see their, their clients' accounts in real time as well? So I think we are a proper sort of CTRM in, this, in the respect that the risk managers are using the system. Not only that, they are giving it to their account managers and traders so that they can manage their house books or manage their client books effectively. So we, we tend to find that having a holistic view where everything comes in real time is, is proving benefit to the firm, not only for the risk team, but the firm as a whole. We're beginning to see a shift as well in how risk is perceived within the commodities industry. I think risk is now seen as essential for the trader and everybody else involved. It's it's become part of the, the overall trading operation, whereas 
certainly a few years ago when I was uh, running a firm, it was seen as almost like, you know, someone trying to stop you from doing business. <laughs> I agree. That's correct. Yeah, it tends to be that way because I think at the moment with the volatility and the prices of initial margin at exchanges, we're tending to find that a lot of firms are saying, well, if your house desk is willing to, to um, trade all of those trades, they're going to have to start paying for the capital that's allocated against their trades within the CCP. So yeah, we are tending to find that uh, it, it is a firm wants to understand from a desk perspective, are they making money for the firm? Not is the firm making money at the top level, but is everybody actually, actually contributing towards that and how much capital are they utilizing uh, for, of the firm's money? So given, given what we discovered, was there anything that you felt was missing? I think that um, perhaps at the moment, the, the sort of ESG and the carbon risks that you mentioned there uh, in the study, I, I think that is something that we are, are still to, we are still to investigate. I think it's still a evolving product. As, as your findings here, you know, your respondents felt that more focus was needed and that more there were tools that were lacking. I, I completely agree with that. And I think perhaps in our world, as we evolve, that is definitely something we're going to have to understand how to capture the risk in relation to ESG and carbon going forward. Yeah, and I think part of the problem there that we alluded to is simply that nobody's quite sure who the regulator is or will be and what the detailed requirements are. Everybody's aware that this is a, a, an upcoming issue of some importance, but the devil is in the detail and the detail is, is missing right now. That's correct. Another one that was, was also, um, I guess, not uh, unexpected was regulatory risks. We have in our system, we have the ability to do uh, a PRR, which is position risk requirement calculation for commodity brokers who fall under ESMA. And as those uh, risks, as those regulatory drivers change and as the industry changes, the regulators also decide to change their calculation and methodology as to how they calculate those, those um, regulatory controls. So having those in the system is great which we do have but when the regulators decide that it's no longer suitable because the market's moved on and we have to make amendments to those calculations keeping up with regulatory uh, regulatory changes is also something that that brings to the fore that does your does your vendor provide the ability to maintain pace with the regulation changes yeah that can be a huge issue if you're operating in multiple jurisdictions in multiple, multiple asset classes absolutely seeing that problem mentioned with some larger traders uh, in the space. Okay, and just to summarize then, how do you think you're positioned uh, against what appear to be the, the requirements and needs indicated in the report? I think we're actually, uh, NASDAQ Risk Platform is very well positioned at the moment. We, we started building our platform five and a half years ago. So probably coming late to the market is actually fallen in our benefit. We're using state-of-the-art uh, cloud-native technology. So all the, all the things that the uh, IT guys love to hear, such as Docker, Terraform, Kubernetes, Kafka, Cassandra, all the, all the funky new technology we are utilizing uh, in order to build our platform. It's scalable, uh, it's reliable, it allows it to scale horizontally. We did some testing the other day and uh, due to the volatility of the market, and we were able within one second to consume 200,000 positions in our platform. You're no longer sort of restricted by what your on-prem uh, solution can cater for. You don't have to go and buy new hardware if the market changes uh, and, and gets more volatile. So our 
total cost uh, of ownership for our clients is much cheaper because of the, the, the sort of technology decision we did long ago. Uh, we are able to innovate uh, quicker. We work in an agile methodology whereby we deliver code every four weeks to our clients' platforms. Uh, it's sort of upgraded over the weekends whilst they're at home and they come in in the morning and they have uh, new functionality, which is, you know, is part of the roadmap is, is being built in line with customers' demands. So I think we are very well positioned uh, in relation to that. Um, we have a lot of ability to compute in real time risk metrics. We are able to holistically look at uh, exposures across your enterprise. We have connectivity to, we're independent software vendors at 37 exchanges around the world. So it doesn't matter which geographical location you're trading in, we are positioned to compute initial margin in real time and then do VAR calculations. And, you know, I think what we're finding with some of our clients is they're moving definitely away nowadays from having multiple systems to a single view, which is what we offer. Um, things in the past where you were get a VAR number, which you couldn't interrogate because the VAR was calculated in a black box, that's no longer acceptable. You know, having our system allows you to drill down into the VAR results independently at account level or at a higher level and actually see where that drive is coming from. And it's all in real time, which makes a massive difference. The strategic enhancements that uh, NASDAQ Risk Platform have made over, the, over 2022 was the ability to stream our risk results to our clients. We, we, are, we don't necessarily only offer our platform to co the commodities market, but we signed a, a non-bank prime broker in June this year, and they wanted us to have the ability to stream all of our risk results and our price outputs uh, into a, a third-party platform. Uh, so we're able to stream all of our results, which is great. Our capability in, in that area has, has proven uh, very strong for our clients and, and is a massive demand at the moment. Um, we also have had the ability, signing an, a non-bank prime broker, to extend our asset class coverage. So not only are we doing, uh, and very comprehensively, the, the uh, ETD world, the exchange-traded derivatives world, anything that's listed, but we can now consume equities in the system and partnering with our, our prime broker, we are also rolling out uh, in Q1 next year to have the ability to do fixed income products in our platform as well. Thank you, Adrian. And then we talked with David Glasspool of Amphora. David? What were your overall opinions of the findings of the risk report? Yeah, thanks, Gary, for taking time to talk to me today. Um, yeah, I found the report very interesting. Um, the, the, my, I've got a couple of points I want to point out. Um, the first one was... It was interesting. I thought that half the um, people that were interviewed stated that their um, their, their CTRM or ETRM was only partially effective, and it'd be interesting to sort of if we could go into that further and I like split it down to understand exactly why they think that. Prior to being heading up the sales team here at Fora, I was an ex operator back in the days with um, with Enron, and then um, I was a trader for, for BP and the Swiss Bank, and it was. Like for, for me, like being the other side of things, using the systems, I often found that my frustrations and where I would have ticked the, the partially effective were sometimes you can, the system can, the PL could be correct and the positions could be correct, but the, the user experience is, is dreadful where, you know, it takes like over 30 mouse clicks in a certain order to, to achieve that. Or you can't drill down into your results and explain them, you know, without knowing that the actual trade structure you know 100 it's very hard for middle office to you know, break it down for you 
or you can't capture the trade the price and details whatsoever and you have to use like um, excel to do that so like, i've been on four for eight years now and there's not one trade we can't put in our system um you know to price it uh, so we don't need excel but i know systems that i've used previously it's had to you know the price the trade price has to be calculated out in excel and then just mainly put in as a fixed price um each evening um so the uh, p and l is correct and then yeah, the other ones would be having like a full audit trail that you know some uh, systems I've used state it does, but it doesn't. It just you know would just show you simple things that have, what's changed, what's changed, but it doesn't tell you like why or, or who's done it. And I think now like, having real time event driven physical and price exposures is, is is vital. Like you know updating those at the end of each day would, would just you know would be maybe would be a partially um, acceptable solution. Now, sometimes it could be you have a partial partial solution because you've just gone live with something. So, you know, once you've gone live, generally the vendor will speak to the client about items that um, that, that, that can be um, addressed after go live. And you know, when I go live with clients, there may be three, four, five things that we have on our roadmaps. I've had one recently, a client went live last week where you know, we have a roadmap to fix those between now and, uh, and, and February with one drop being in November, one by the end of this year and one in February to cover those gaps so if you spoke to that, that client of mine they might say hit the particular partially adequate box at the moment but then hopefully so like in march it'll be you know, a full solution for those so yeah that's actually the, the, the first thing I, i'd take on board of the report would be yeah why are so many people ticking that partially effective box i think it's because there's a wide variety of solutions out there and as as you as you and i both know some some ctrms the RM bit is woeful. It's it's basically after the fact batch job overnight. If it can get all the prices in order to run it, and sometimes it's uh, extremely limited in terms of its capabilities. So allow you to set up a credit limit, but but not actually track it or something like that. You know. Uh, on the other hand, there are solutions out there that that are labelled CTRM that are really very good at risk, and I think that this is part of the problem with having a whole bunch of you know over a hundred solutions all classified as ctrm because as, as you know there's a massive diversity of functionality across those hundred plus platforms yeah absolutely and you know, and a lot of these platforms i mean we we've been in the industry 25 years now so you know we, we don't really benchmark ourselves against you know our competitors it's really what we've got benchmarks ourselves against what we, we're proven against you know everything we've done I used to think like when oh, I don't know, like five six years ago that if I, I saw a client using Excel with our system, that was um, an opportunity to improve our CTRM to like capture whatever they're doing in the Excel in our system. Um, now I've, I've changed that a little bit. I think systems work well with Excel, so all of our main applications you can um, export to Excel, and the users can then slice and dice it as they wish in Excel. Or they can use our own reports to do it. But I think they work well in, in tandem with each other. Where I'm seeing a lot of traction on uh, on the sales side is companies who are just using Excel, or, you know, with no audit reports. Very easy easy for users to overtype a, a formula in the cell and then they do, you know, they're trading off the wrong exposure because um, it's not being updated. But with the um, the free, like frequency of the updates as well, I think positions have to be updated, um, you know, real time. Uh, seems yeah. to trade an exchange, you know, it's got to hit, hit, hit your system. As soon as someone enters a physical trade, that has to update everything. If an operator goes in and changes a date, uh, like BL date, and you know your your, your price is event driven, and that's update your exposures. 
I think P&L being updated every second or hour, um, I think it's a bit overkill. I, I don't see any of my clients that have any major business reason for that. I think like end of day P&L runs or, or an intraday run if you know something's you know the prices have spiked and you need to you know, run your P&L midday. Um, having a process for that, I think it is sufficient. But yeah, positions have to be um, event driven and in real time. Yeah, that, that definitely seems to be the trend, particularly with the volatilities and speed of what's going on. What else did you What else did you see in there that was interesting? Yeah, I mean, your your ESG and the carbon risk um, you know, is something that we like for. We looked at a project there last year called um, Harmony, um, kicking that off. So that is currently well, that was started this year. Haven't got a roadmap I can give you on that when that's going to be um, out to be marketed. But um, I think that's something that's not going away and something that um, companies prior to these uh, high prices were really focusing on. I think maybe the attention since you know these record high prices and volatility has maybe gone up, um, away from that area. But um, I'm, I'm sure that there's, you know that, that it could refocus on that um, at some point, maybe next year or the year after. Uh-huh. The interest rate risk. Interest rates didn't really matter for the last how many years it's been. Um, they were so low and stable that n- none of my clients really were tracking it or, or, or that bothered about putting it in. Rates are going to you know, are high and probably going to go higher. So having that in the system, you know, putting in that interest rate each day or each month, you know, it's probably something that systems need to um, capture now. And then, yeah, looking how that interest rate can impact, you know, so we're quite fortunate here and forward that we don't have any debt, but, you know, sometimes that hasn't always been the case. And we had, you know, when you have high interest rates, often that hits you immediately as soon as they go up, um, if you've got some debt to service. And then obviously that money comes out of the pole that would be going into um, developing the product. And another one, of course, that's related to interest rates is foreign exchange, because that the moment we seem to have like um, a competition between central banks to rise interest rates as fast as possible, which means that the the, the currencies are all volatile as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just I I, I tracked the uh, the sterling dollar and sterling uh, euro for personal reasons, and it's uh, <laughs> it's going it's going up and down all the time at the moment. The other thing in the reply I thought was quite interesting was that more people thought that. I don't know if it's a sign of the times, but like, I'm more of a concern about credit risk than the market risk, which I thought mm. was, was odd. Yeah, to me, the market risk would always be, the, as a trader, maybe it's because I'm an ex-trader, and, but yeah, it was always be the market risk that would be my major concern, as opposed to the credit side. Yeah, I think that's one of those ones where if you're in, in the analyst seat and looking back at how things have emerged and developed, credit risk is one of those things that comes and goes. And it's pretty obvious that it comes when there are major defaults. Everybody suddenly gets focused, like when Enron collapsed, for example. Everybody got really focused on credit. And then after a while, it went back to market risk again. And I think that with um, what's happened to Uniper and what happened to some of the retailers in the UK last year, for example, the focus has, has been on credit again recently because uh, there have been defaults and there have been issues. Yeah, and I think that's the case. That maybe that's why it's be interesting how that kind of split has changed over the years, and, and whether that will go down next year or the year after. Um, and maybe it's just a sign of yeah of of the times at the moment with companies' credit being absolutely exhausted by these. Um, yeah. You know, just even just getting margin called at the moment It's very expensive to put hedges on now on the exchanges. Um, with yeah. these high 
I tell you, it's just costing you a lot. Now, to do the right thing as a trader, you know, to, to, if you want to minimise your risk, it's actually cost you a lot of money now. I think it's in the last part of your article is that when you do the conclusion, you state that you know, I think you have a power utility, power utility in the merchant generator. I think um, you, you mentioned that they have different needs to report their risk differently, and I think that's so true. It's very naive to go into CTRM and think that all your clients are going to do everything the same. You know, you have to have a flexible system out there, so each client will want to look at their risk potentially differently from the other client, even in the same industry, same sector. And that could be just simply, you know, one person wants to see it by geographical location, one person wants to see it more than the commodity level, maybe maybe because of the credit exposure, maybe people want to report more on the, on the counterparty level. And having a system in place where the users go in themselves and actually can amend their reports. So that's simple things like, you know, changing the, like the column where, you no, know, I want to put this extra field in, I want to move the column to the left, I want to filter by this. And doing it themselves without the need to reach out to the vendor who has to then produce um, an SOW for it you know, and charge you and get back to you in six months um, with this new report where they, all they've done is move to a column, you know, two, two um, uh, columns to the left. And I know that was the case for me when I was um, was was trading. That that would be you know just small changes in the report would cost you. Yeah. With our system, the users have full flexibility. They can change you know, all the layouts and their reports as they want. As I mentioned uh, at the start of this, they can export to Excel, do all the filters. Um, we're fully integrated with Power BI, um, as most vendors are to be, be true. So the users can you know change their reports. They can change their book structures. You know if they want to. The most common one is to do it by booking entity and then probably by commodity down to down to the um, uh, the month level of delivery. Every every time I go into implementation, it always changes the, the book structure from you know, the, the first couple of weeks where you have initial discussions to what they go live with. Um, is all is always different because when you start an implementation, you don't know their business fully and they don't know the software fully. But as the weeks right. tick by. And you get to like week eight of the implementation, you kind of know, and you go, okay, right, let's do this because I understand your report requirements now. Um, I understand how you, why you want this system, and, and what risk um, exposures you want to see. If you go all the way back to, you know, to like, if you're a producer, you don't really care about market prices. You don't care about all, all these other exposures. All you really care about is your operational exposure, um, and especially when in, with inflation so high, with interest rates, you know, going with it. As a producer, if you don't take out today you're probably your next time to take out is in 20 years time so if you look at the, the, the value of money in 20 years time compared to the day you're going to be pulling out the ground whatever the prices are thank you david and then of course we spoke with ben hillary over at commodities people um i think uh th there's a lot of really interesting uh points raised in the report i think there'd be sort of five areas which uh five of the results that uh that i think are worth commenting on um which I found quite interesting i thought the the second poll figure figure two areas where more focus is needed i think it's very interesting and this is actually quite in line with a lot of the feedback from uh from from our from our energy trading week event uh last week i think it's quite interesting how credit risk has outstripped esg and carbon risk i suspect if you if you went back to pre-February, that might not have been so uh, so stark. So I think there's uh, there's that 
general feedback, the general feeling that that sort of immediate pressing issue related to the globe, the global crisis, is putting that that ESG focus uh, maybe a little bit more on the back burner. What were your thoughts on on that? Well, I think I think as we saw the events of this year unfold, it became obvious to to me anyway as an analyst that the the whole ESG push was going to be slowed down simply because there's all it's to me it's a, you remember that game where at the amusement park where these things pop up and you have to hit them with a hammer <laughs> yeah it's kind of the beginning of this year till now it's been like that hasn't it in some ways that, yeah. that there's so many other issues popping up that need to be popped back down with a hammer yeah. that yeah. esg is basically sort of passing us by a little bit yeah until people have more bandwidth and time to focus in on it and i think as indicated in the report and i'm sure you heard this last week when there's more guidance from from whoever the regulators will be yep. about what the regulations actually are right yeah 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 in fact that's really interesting so i'm just looking at a couple of uh so we're a couple of a couple of slides from from last week in your opinion, are security of supply objectives putting a halt to the whole path to net zero strategy? Yes, 56%, no, 27%, not yeah. sure, 17%. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, then actually, do you feel you receive enough support and guidance from your government and regulatory bodies? Yes, 17%, no, 47%, not sure, wow. 36%. So very much in line with what you've just said. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, also thought that figure three, a question around areas where tools are lacking, is 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 really really interesting. Um, very much in line with what we see. That totally makes sense. It is kind of that that newest type of of risk. So obviously there would be a lack of mature tools there. Uh, there are some brilliant products which are out there already. Uh, you know we both uh, obviously see the, the the Gen 10 Net Zero. Uh, tool, which is really, uh, really interesting for that space. Uh, but we're actually seeing loads and loads of growth in, in new vendor offerings in the ESG and carbon risk um, uh, space. So yeah, I think that's, um, there's just going to be an absolute mushrooming of yeah. new tools there in the, in the months ahead. I was quite surprised to see uh, regulatory risk put as the uh, second one where tools are lacking. Maybe it's just from working quite a lot with that industry. It does. It's always felt to me that there's a lot of great tools out there. Uh, so I'd be quite interested to know actually what elements of regulatory risk specifically do they do the respondents feel are are lacking? What I, had a, I had a chat with Viv Handler on this one because okay. I was puzzled by that too. And I think his thoughts were as follows: that yeah. from a from a regulation reporting you know, to regulations point of view, the tools yep. are adequate. Uh, yep. It's just a case of keeping them up to speed with any changes in the reporting standards. Uh, but when it comes to things like trade surveillance, yep, and it comes to ES things like ESG, which is also a regulatory risk, right? Then in the latter, we've got what we just talked about, which is the yep. lack of lack of detail, the lack of understanding who the regulator is going to be. And when yep. it comes to trade surveillance, he felt like with the latest round of really heavy fines from from yep. the regulators yep. for malpractice on the trading side people were beginning to wake up to the fact that well that system that we bought that really doesn't 
understand commodities that well and therefore yeah. isn't that helpful isn't going to help us so we need to find something else that is more specific to commodities yeah and i think when you think that through he's, he's probably absolutely spot on yeah correct. yeah yeah, yeah. Now that's really interesting and one uh yeah that, that's really valid actually um i was having an interesting conversation um that we're doing this work with uh with with, with broad peak partners and yeah. they um so the big uh the sort of thing working on with them is is that message that yeah a lot of the uh tools are designed as you say for someone like ubs or someone like that who have yeah. limitless resources uh so how can you know when you're a, a smaller uh, mid-sized commodity energy trader you know how on earth can you look into every single alert you know how can you be i guess pragmatic about it so yeah no, that that makes a lot of sense effectiveness of software again really really interesting there i guess i guess that's probably a little bit kinder than uh than, than what we've seen so i see uh yes fully effective a quarter partially effective half and then more or less just under a quarter uh not effective makes me think back to a webinar we did with with molecule that uh, patrick was involved with actually and right. it is part of the registration survey uh what what level of satisfaction people had with their e slash ctrm systems um and it came in at uh an average of five out of ten so actually that's I suppose somewhat in line with with what you're saying there. Room for improvement. Yeah, and when you look at when you look at some of the other results in in the you know using the glasses of, of looking through the lenses of that, you, you yeah. start to see some issues. Like, well, uh, we're not getting event driven real time risk. We're getting after yeah. the fact morning at, the morning late after. If we're lucky, if everything ran, and this is simply not good enough uh, in this particular era. And I think, you know, we've already talked about the regulatory side, the fraud side, the credit mm. side. I mean, wherever you look in risk, uh, yeah. there are issues. So even if you're using an ETRM and it has some uh, value at risk, is yeah. it the right, is, you know, do you understand what model it's using to, to, yeah. to give you that number? Do you understand the number? Can you drill into it? Can you see why a change happened? And I think that the answer is often not really. And so there's much more transparency required, I think, uh, and much more, uh, much more need to see things faster and more clear with more clarity. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I interpret, you know, some of the, some of the results. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Type of software used, um, obviously, uh, single CTRMs, 25% multiple CTRMs closing on 40 just made me uh think back with a smile to a panel you moderated back during the covid times between yeah. agibu and fis on uh, on uh, uh multiple versus single ctrm so the, yeah. the debate continues um uh, the the comfort with cloud i thought was an interesting one and again fairly in line with what we see uh we actually ran uh, we had a session on that uh, last week at the event um, and asked the question, where is safer to host your um, your systems? 66% in the cloud, 34% uh, on-prem. So, yeah, quite in line with what you see there. So, yeah, all in all, just a really, uh, yeah, very, uh, very, very interesting report. Lots of interesting analysis. And uh... Thank you, Ben. 
So what did Patrick and I make of all of this? Well, we also spent some time and talked about the report and what we learned. We just finished the risk report. What did you make of it? It, it shows kind of the sensitivity of the market to current events, as it, as it probably should. I mean, if you're a risk manager, you're going to respond to whatever is the, the issue of the day or the issue of the week or the issue of the, of the period of time that, that you look at. And, and I think certainly you look at credit risk as, as one of those items that, given the failures that we've seen in the marketplace uh, this year brought on by uh, you know, the explosion in prices, particularly in Europe. I think he pointed out Uniper is, particularly, uh, is a particular example. The responses, I think, reflect that, that urgency that the, these companies have relative to current events. Market risk is a similar thing. Market risk is always out there. It's always an area of focus, but certainly when you see the huge price swings that we see these days, it's going to be front of mind uh, for, for most organizations that have commodity exposure. So I think if we ran this again, five years from now or two years from now, or looking back if, uh, at results that we would have gotten two years ago, I, I think it would have been slightly different. I think credit mm -hmm. risk wouldn't have been a concern two years ago, but certainly I think as the, the markets evolve and current events happen, the, the focus of risk management changes. And, and I think it also points to the, the necessity to have kind of a, a broad understanding of what's available in the market and being able to develop a risk management platform of, of applications or a singular application that's flexible enough to kind of adjust to the priorities that, the, that you as a market participant have or as the market as a whole starts to uh, really need to focus. Yeah, and I think it also backs up some of the interviews where there was some critique of a, a methodized or systemized or cookie cutter approach to risk management because they felt as if adopting that kind of an approach, albeit it's a good thing to do in terms of making sure you've got all your bases covered, it had the risk of removing the attitude of looking on the horizon for the next thing and looking for the risks that are implicit in your own business. Um, in other words, it took away some of the some of the adaptability people felt. What, what was your thinking around that? No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that's where we start to think of it in terms of more of a componentized approach to risk management or really even broader CTRM where, you know, as your business changes, you, you react to market changes, you react to changes in your asset base or or market opportunity, your, your focus as a CTRM user is going to change uh, and your, your needs are going to change and, and morph over time. Particularly when we get in these, these situations like we have right now where the market is changing so rapidly. I mean, you've got uh, underlying everything. You've got the, the energy you know, transition uh, just accelerating, well, <laughs> up to the, the point of the Ukraine war. Uh, but, you know, and, and the focus that that was driving, uh, new contract types, new assets, new market developments like five-minute power markets. I mean, all these things were, were piling up and you needed to react very quickly to them. Uh, or if you wanted to enter those markets, you needed to be able to have those components that were necessary to address those. So, I think looking at it from less of a monolithic CTRM capability and looking at more of a componentized approach that really leverages the, the computing power of the cloud. And, and I think that's key, particularly when we talk about risk management is being able to leverage that computing power that the cloud does offer you is, yeah. is 
kind of the path forward for, for this industry. I think we've got to, uh, I, I think we're going to see by necessity a lot of these older monolithic solutions being broken down into more component parts as, as they have the opportunity. And then we're going to see the new vendors that are in the market, and we've already seen it, uh, really focusing on particular needs of the market and being able to deploy those via the cloud uh, into existing IT infrastructures uh, and, and developing kind of that, that quilt of capability uh, where you can be more agile and you can adapt more quickly to market changing market conditions. Well, the speed of market changes even caught us out, if the truth be told, because the one thing when we devised the study that we didn't think about was asking about liquidity risk. We asked about credit risk, and I suppose one could argue that an aspect of credit risk is liquidity risk. But when the when the survey kicked off and the Ukraine war started, of course, a lot of the responses under other wrote liquidity risk and quite rightly because uh, things had changed and shifted and suddenly liquidity was on top of everybody's mind. Yeah, and I, and I think as you pointed out in one of the conversations earlier that too, you look at interest rate risk. Uh, yeah. Interest rate risk six months ago, a year ago, wasn't a concern to anybody. But but certainly as things are changing very rapidly on that front, then we're, you know, all the Western economies are staring recession or even stagnation square in the face. It's it's certainly becoming more of an issue uh, as interest rates rise and become much more volatile, which impacts FX and uh, can really impact value. And I suppose that with all of that and the, the shift uh, to the cloud, the need for event driven or real time, it's going to really shake up the field. It's going to provide a lower barrier to entry for new entrants on new platforms. And it's going to demand that uh, vendors with more older legacy type software are going to have to respond faster in order to meet the customer's requirements, I guess. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think they're going to have to start to look at trying to componentize some of these legacy systems. But I also think, too, that there's always going to be a demand for some of the older technologies, I think we, we've got to be careful not to generalize the market for these solutions. Not everybody has the same strategy in terms of trading. Some people take a very lackadaisical view of, of market risk because they're producers or whatever. Uh, they don't have the same urgency to have real-time calculation and, and that type of thing. So I think there's always going to be a market for a solid solution to a problem. And that problem really varies uh, depending on what particular segment of the market you're looking at, what uh, what geography, what commodity. It's I, I think sometimes we kind of smoke our own dope in a way uh, when we look at the more sophisticated ones and we say, yeah, that's absolutely the way forward. I, I, I think there's a market out there for good quality software, depending upon what market segment you want to look at. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the most sophisticated. It just has to be an accurate and reliable solution. Back to the old software adoption model. Like it's yeah, it, it really that. is. Yeah. Uh, and nothing, everything changes, but some things never change. So Absolutely. Was there anything then, Patrick, that, that surprised you or, or wasn't expected that came out of that uh, piece of research? No, I, I think the the focus on ESG was appropriate at the time. I think, you know, as 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 we and particularly you have pointed out in the past, very recently, uh, you know, you look at things like coal making a comeback. 
Yeah. Uh, the environmental component of ESG is certainly uh, going to have to be set aside for some period of time right now, simply to react to uh, current conditions. So uh, while I think ESG was, was clearly a hot topic you know, six months ago, I think the reality of market conditions now are, are kind of pushing that to the wayside. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything surprising. I think it's just as quickly as the market is changing these days, the, the focus is going to change as well. And so when we look at the focus of, of particular issues within the market at any given point in time, those are, are reflective of the time that the data was collected. And I think it's going to change. Uh, and I think we, you know, it's a very dynamic market these days, uh, painfully dy- dynamic for, for most uh, participants. So uh, we've, we've just got to kind of keep a constant eye on that and understand how that impacts uh, software needs. And switching topics a little bit uh, in terms of our forward research program, plainly, we, uh, we're now looking at the vendor perception survey, which will take a couple of months because it's a very complex piece of analysis that needs to take place. And we'll also be looking at the uh, the sort of market sizing, won't we, before the end of the year? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, we're, the vision of work between you and I, we both have our priorities on, on those things. And, uh, and I, I do think uh, hopefully by the end of this uh, calendar year, we'll have those, those two pieces of research out. Uh, one of them may, one or both may bleed over a little bit into the first of the year, but given the complexity of, of those two products, uh, we spend a lot of time doing a lot of detailed analysis on those. So uh, we, we certainly continue to push forward on those and are looking forward to getting those behind us. So if you would like to read the report, as I said earlier, all you need to do is go over to ctrmcenter.com, which of course you are doing daily to catch up with all the news and views and opinions and insights around CTRM software globally. Register if you haven't already done so with a username and password and simply pop over to the Publications tab and download the report for free. This is Gary Vasey on behalf of Comtech Advisory wishing you well, thanking our guests. Please do subscribe, like and share this podcast and see you next time. Bye. Listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at comtechadvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Vasey, and their guests today. And we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.